Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to you on the Bad Bar Podcast. It's Chris, your host, and I hope you're all doing very well. Uh, I'm really, really grateful to have Daniel Nevsky today with me on the show. Um, I've been following him for a very long time, as I'm sure most of you have as well. Obviously, he is aka the indie bartender. We've got a lot to talk about today. Um, he's just been traveling quite frequently, so it's great to have him on the show. Mr. Nevsky, how are you? How's it all been? I'm good. I'm glad to be back in, the, in back home in Barcelona, where the sun is shining and there is much less rain. Uh, where there's going a bit north of Europe, I've definitely felt uh, PTSD from living there for a while. Of like, hey, I like the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's um, well, it's great to have you on the show, man. Like I said, there's so much we can talk about. You know, you're a bit of a sort of insta famous celebrity. You know, not just from Instagram, but also your work around the world within bartending. So. Um, like I said, great to have you on the show. You know, for a lot of the audience, and I think most people will know you anyway, but it'd be great to have a sort of um, uh, a, a recap of who you are and sort of how you got into the industry. Because I know we have um, a lot of veteran bartenders listening, but also a lot of new people too. So if you don't mind, we'd love to hear from you and about your sort of origin story in the bartender trade. So as a recap, I am a uh, first generation immigrant from, from Eastern Europe, born in Russia. Uh, half the family is from Ukraine. Um, moved to London when I was seven and a half until the age of 15. We stayed in London. Then we moved to Scotland, uh, the land in the north beyond the wall where the wildlings are. And that's where I got into hospitality uh, because I wanted money. And my, my, my parents, being very sort of salt of the earth uh, kind of background, were like, hey, go get a job. And so that was that. And the the only jobs going at that time for a 15-year-old was uh, three-star hotel uh, wedding catering. So I was uh, serving Scottish weddings for the first two and a half, three years of my life, which where, where is the most non-gender uh, binary weddings in the world because everyone is wearing a skirt. Um, so that's how I got into hospitality. Then I sort of moved to the city, went to university, dropped out of university, like every other self-respecting bartender. Um, stayed in hospitality, started doing cocktail competitions, started going to trainings, um, won my first one, got to a final, thought, this is nice. I got a free holiday to a city, a country I've never been to before. And I'd like more of this, please, because I can't afford to go to these countries myself on the salary that I have. Um, started doing competitions, met a guy who's, who's opening a bar in Amsterdam, moved to to work in Amsterdam to help open his bar. I stayed there for three years. Uh, we um, we got into the 50 best bars in the world. This is 2013, 14, thir- 14, 15, 16, but I was definitely from 2013, which got us sort of really like blew up the career. You know, you're starting to travel, you're starting to 
uh, go around the world. And that ended up with me sort of burning out. Uh, that's when I quit my job and decided I was going to spend all this hard-earned money that I couldn't spend because I was working six days a week on traveling the world. Ended up meeting another guy at a competition uh, who had a social media page called Cocktails For You. His name's Eddie, Eddie Radzinskas. So he had Cocktails For You. At the time, Cocktails For You was very, very small. And now it's very big. And so for three years, we worked together to build that platform. Um, and I was doing too much traveling, so I quit that. And COVID hit. So that was really good because COVID went and made everything go digital. And I've just sold my shares in course, arguably the biggest cocktail-related digital platform in the world. Um, so, yeah. So, and then that's when I started to do Indie Bartender because basically everything that um, everything that I saw in the industry that I wasn't quite happy with or what I was seeing, I thought, well, why not, not doing this? And so I became a natural solution for people like myself. And I guess that's where we are today. Good to hear, Matt. Indie Bartender, let's, let's go into the content of that because um, one thing I've always admired is your social media content is so, um, A, it's engaging, it's very educational, but also a bit of tongue-in-cheek as well. Um, how do you come out of these um, creative stories, these campaigns? What, where does this inspiration come from? So, honestly, like, essentially, um, at first, it was kind of, I was stuck, you know, COVID happened and I was, we were like three day, three months or four months here in, in Barcelona where you're not allowed to leave your house. Like one person leaves the house, goes to the supermarket, buys food, comes back. You can't do anything. And having just quit my previous job, I had all of my equipment, all my filming gear and all this other stuff in the house. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, everyone was learning to break sourdough. And I was like, well, you know what? Um, I'll do this. And so, because, you know, you, you get bored. There's only so much you can doom scroll on, on Instagram or, or there's only so much Netflix that you can watch. So um, I started to, to do this. And then basically the only thing I had in um, that was bar related at the time was my collection of stolen cocktail menus. <laughs> uh, and right. or, 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 or bought, or bought. Some were bought. Uh, some were bought, some were stolen, some were gifted. And I sat there and I was watching all this other stuff that was happening online where people were making daiquiris on their ironing boards. I'm like, bro, I can make a daiquiri. Like, I don't need, why are you making a daiquiri on an ironing board? It's funny the first person who does it. And then the second friend does it and a third me. I'm like, why are you making daiquiris? What is wrong with you? Um, so I decided to review cocktail menus. A second season that is coming back probably early next year with much, much higher production values. Um, but the idea was like, cool, you know what? Let me actually read this menu. Because you get it and you put it on a shelf and you never look at it again. And you may scroll it for ideas now and again. I sat there and I started analyzing them. And I thought, this is really interesting because I agree with this. I don't agree with this. And I've been through all these bars. So I decided to do menu reviews. And I would do one menu review a week. And I had about 20 menus. So that was basically my in the first couple of pandemics. And so that's what had happened. And the moment I started reading menu reviews, I started learning how to light properly. I ended up like converting our second, I like we had a second room uh, and I ended up like putting up the mattress on its side to stop sound muffling. The old, like the old rapper sort of way, like mattresses, sound dampeners. 
And then, you know, one thing led to another uh, of just people now sending you menus. So people started like after like three weeks and people agree or disagree, it causes discussion. And I started reading more about social media. I started doing all sorts and I saw a, a growth, you know, when I, when COVID happened, I think I had like 10,000 followers. Uh, and I think that year we grew 4,000 if maybe like in, in during the first 12 months of COVID, it's not like less, but for me as 10,000 followers, I'm like, holy shit, we grew like 30% or something at the time. I think it was 3,000 followers we grew. And for me, that was a huge number, right? That's a crazy number. Uh, Cause I'd already had Instagram for like six, seven years. And the whole point of what I was doing was what is stuff that's going to, that's going to, like I would like to see what's like educational would like to see. And then at the same time, I have no brand behind me anymore. I'm just me. Right. And we're all stuck in pandemic. So I'm just going to chat shit the way I chat shit behind the bar, but to the camera. Um, at the same time, it's also like, I don't know if you've, if you're a UK based human being banter and sort of this kind of stuff is a big part of culture. You always have to make, not everything is, hundred percent to be meant to be taken literally Scotland can be particularly scathing, uh, in the, and, and Ireland as well. So having grown up there, I've adopted a lot of this kind of satire, Frankie Boyle-esque at times, uh, which is not, not necessarily, not necessarily PC friendly, um, online. But, um, so that was it. And then I stumbled upon this really cool uh, video by on YouTube by a guy called Chris Doe. And he is the owner of a agency in, in LA that it's a branding and design agency. And his whole thing was that what he taught me was this, it's all about value. Like value is an interesting word because depending where you're from, it means different things. But what he says is, are you bringing value to the audience? Like who, you know, are the people watching your stuff? Do they come back off that? If it's a five second 10 second, 15 second video, a 12 minute video or a carousel post or whatever, have they either A, been educated in something, B, entertained, or C, have they empathized with the content? And the way he explained that was every time it's your birthday or you you buy a, buy a house, buy a car or a win, right? An emotional win you get the most likes and comments on your Instagram shit. You know, everyone's like, congratulations. Oh my God, that's amazing. And then your rest of your content gets like 10% of that for the rest of the year. And people go, oh, well, you know, people only like it when I've got a thing. And that forces people to only try and post like good things and try and post wins. And that's why, it all, you know, it all starts coming across as very sort of fake because it's always like, I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm winning. And that causes a, a, what's it called? Like a bad spiral. His whole thing is that, are they laughing? Is it like, is this entertaining? Um, it's, if it's entertaining for you, it could be entertaining for someone else. Uh, or if it's educational, is it simple or not? So I started off literally making so many mistakes. So, <laughs> so the menu stuff came out and then I was like, you know what? I'm reading all these books right now as well. So I started just taking like chapters out of the book and basically like re-explaining them as I understood them. 
so this content was 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 great but when you started reading my posts they were like novels right it was so much to consume and i started looking back at these posts and i was like holy shit like people uh, it's too much investment of their time to read and and all the stuff i think the only reason it was successful at the time is because everybody else was doing aforementioned uh, daiquiris on ironing boards so they're like oh that daiquiri's an ironing board daiquiri now i'm with daiquiri over oh dan's doing this very long and like interesting post where he's thinking about things and whatever obviously when the pandemic started stop you know sort of shifting i switched to someone else now the key thing i want to say about all of this so that so it's, it's like a rule of thumb for a podcast is the three e's value equals empathy education or entertainment simple as that now the next step from that is how we you know what do you know that you know that's educational and then how do you communicate that simple as that like um if you look at my posts i have these like true vocabulary memes sort of things like where i take a cocktail or something and i make jokes about it at the bottom right they're what my most popular posts that's is just entertainment there's no that's not meant to be taken serious there's truth to every joke so there's bits and bobs to that but that basically came from another instagram channel which does this already they were doing like they like do definitions but they're funny and i looked at that i was like cool they're just doing random definitions and they're like changing the description a bit like urban dictionary you know what i mean i was like why don't we do that for the bartending industry so i the template was there i didn't invent the template I just then took it and applied my knowledge as somebody from hospitality to that. Now, I'm pretty sure there's a chef out there who's been bartending and shit, making food for 10 plus years who could do exactly the same thing for food. Does that make sense? So it's not like being inspired by usually means copied. But when you copy something, you have to apply it correctly. Otherwise, you're just a copycat and it will not work. The true art of copying or being inspired by is how do you apply it through yourself <laughs> sorry <laughs> so uh, you know when i'm when i'm speaking to people about social media i'm like you need to have experience you need to have something to share it's very hard to make shit up especially in an industry as like labor intensive as, as hospitality you know, your regular, your regulars pay your bills, right? The industry comes in and just usually demands free shit, uh, or ends up getting free shit, uh, or discounts or whatever. But, um, your, your regulars are the ones that make up the bulk of your, of everything. It's your bread and so butter, it's the same, that's what I say. Was, it's the same thing online. So online, if you're doing only organic, if you're not trying to be part of these engagement groups where everyone just gives bullshit high fives, or you're not buying bots. If you're doing it only organic, which is it's what I've done, I've never boosted any posts or anything. Um, the regulars that comment on your posts are the people, they're usually people who are not your colleagues, they're not your friends, they're bog standard randoms off the internet. They're your regulars. They're the ones you have to look after. That's your community, not anyone else. Like the, the thing that people sometimes forget is that, um, just like a bar serves guests, you're, that they're your guests. Then the, the, the rest of the industry is fucking irrelevant online. There's people who've never heard of Alex Cortana, Jerry Thomas, Eric Lawrence, all these famous people. They haven't, and they don't care, and they won't just start caring about them because 
you think that these people have won world class. Like they don't care. They're here for you, what you're doing. So just focus on that. Anyone coming coming around and criticizing you for what you're doing, who never likes, never shares, never comments, you don't matter. You you uh, for to be clickbaity, you're a Karen. You've come you've come on. You don't like something, and but you're never tuned in. So jog on. Uh, not interested. And so that's how it all started. It just started with uh, the menu reviews and like these these excerpts from books. And then it kind of develops because new ideas come. Um, a lot of the stuff I did at the beginning two years ago from the book stuff, I've actually just taken clips of that now and reused them, like small little bits. And I've learned to design a little bit myself. So that's so now I'm using creating these carousels where a very specific idea ends up being extrapolated, if that makes sense. That's kind of that in a nutshell in terms of like how it all sort of started coming there's so much to it agreed and um i think you're very right in terms of what you said about the people that you've got to connect with because one of the biggest algorithms for these platforms is engagement how do you engage with a community um you know and i see on your website on the platform it's um you've got the road to ten thousand, so you're building your community that way yeah um but another thing is also scheduling and i think um it's so important right now for people to create a personal brand. And the best way to do that is to use social media. But way too many times you see people post once a week and it'll be just one photo of themselves or something. Without consistent um, content at regular times, you will never grow that far. So, I mean, how do you sort of um, strategize this? This, you know, How do you build up that calendar of content? I'm assuming you link very closely with what's on trend right now. So you must be doing a lot of research behind that. But do you have any advice for bartenders? Okay, so there's a couple of things there. So first of all is posting and consistency, right? So going back to the same guy, Chris Doe, he's got a YouTube channel. Actually, you know what, just to check him out, it's YouTube, it's the future, but with no E, so the future. And he's got loads of really cool stuff on there. One of his uh, Q&A sessions he was doing, he, people said, so it was like, why do you post every day, right? And that's what he does. Um, and he says, well, if you turn up to work every day, you end up doing better every day. You get better at the job. So, so he said, if you post once a week, you've done 52 posts at the end of the year. And if you post every day, you'll do 365 posts at the end of the year. So next, you're, you're by pure definition of hard work, you must be at least seven times better. So I sat there and I was like, all right, I'm going to post four times a week. Instead of just doing a menu review and whatever, I'm going to post four times a week. And that's what I started doing. That's, that's what I, um, I kind of started with four. Now I'm seven times a week. I very rarely miss a post. What I've noticed is once you started doing that, once you started doing more consistently, it becomes easier. It's stressful for the first like couple of months, but at the end of it, you, you, you go around your daily day and you're like, that's a post right there. That's a post. I can make a post out of that. And the, my life has been like this. And what ends up happening is then you create templates for yourself. So, for example, um, now I've been, I've been doing these interviews called Bar Talks. They're my least, least popular content, but probably my deepest where we go into sort of these like 40-minute interviews that I get um, edited down to 10 to 15, sometimes 20 minutes about random topics, but they're unfiltered and they're with people working in the on-chain. 
now I sat there and I was doing these interviews and I would post them once every two or three weeks because, you know, video editing and whatever is difficult. And then someone goes, bro, you've got these interviews that have got some really, really cool uh, little like 60 second clips in them. Why don't you Joe Rogan it? I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. Like you've got these moments where there's a really interesting um, conversation. There's a really interesting 60 second clip. Cut it out and post that online and uh, and do a little, um, do your watermark on it, do a little thing on it saying like, cool, full interview in Spotify, like for a podcast, full interview on YouTube. And I was like, holy shit, that makes sense. So now I'm getting from one interview, sometimes four or five little different reels, which is exactly what Instagram wants right now, right? Reels is king. So I'm like, cool, I'm getting these cool reels that are very niche into my topic, but, but they're interesting for bartenders. So I've just done an interview with my friend Elliot Ball. I already posted it online. I did a trailer, which hit 30,000 views as a reel. Uh, the actual interview on YouTube has only had 1,000 views, but they've all been people who've been really invested. So there's been full watching. And then I cut out four more clips. I've just reposted another clip about that he's done. That's hit another 30,000 views. So suddenly, one piece of content is providing me five posts right? And then I can have one interview a month or one interview every three weeks and repost once a week or once every six posts a reel. So the reels don't get too annoying and don't clog up the feed, but they're constantly driving traffic to the YouTube, but they're still relevant. And most importantly, they're shareable. So there's like, there's the first 15 seconds has got some interesting question being asked. And then the answer comes. So see what I mean? So you're sort of like engineering virality or engineering uh, interest. So from one interview, you're getting so much more. And then that also makes your life easier because then you have consistency. Then you have, cool, this week I do a truth vocabulary. That's one post. Oh, I have this interview reel. That's two posts. Then I have bar knowledge, bar wisdom or something else. That's three posts. So 50% of this week has already been done with two hours of work, right? And so does that make sense? So you, you make your own life way more consistent, way more easier. And then I've seen the, um, the results of that. So 2020 to 2021, 3,000 new followers. Wow, 30%, awesome. Uh, 2021 to 2022, we left, we finished at like 26,000 followers, 20, something like that. So almost doubled, awesome, right? And then from January this year to today, we're on 56,000 now. So we've doubled before the year has gone out. Um, and now I'm shadow banned for a week now, so it's okay. Um, oh, really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. I'm, and so basically by posting every day, I've seen the results and they have been, consi- and they have been consistent. There's bad days, there's good days, there's nothing di- more difficult than getting upset um, when you have shadow ban or you are not getting the stuff, you know, but they're always playing with the algorithm because they're bastards. And so you can't, if you can't, you know, once you look at it long term, if you're not just posting once a week, but you're posting consistently and you're seeing like long term growth, you don't get upset day by day. Right. So that's that's that. That's consistency in posting for the younger bartender. Um, the easiest way 
that uh, I do a seminar about this, but here we are. Um, the easiest way is to is if you research what's called the seven plot lines. So this is a Shakespearean um, methodology. Basically, there's seven basic plots. And I think if I'm not wrong, there's comedy, tragedy, there's rags to riches, there's like resurrection, there is um, fighting, like the voyage. And then there's also like uh, defeating the boss or something. There's seven basic plots. And basically, those are Shakespearean. So all, all plays back then were those things. But how do you apply them to you? So for you, um, the voyage could be going to a seminar, going to a bar show, visiting a bar, um, defeating the big old meanie, the big monster. That's a Saturday, Friday night shift right there. Uh, or a Hindu or whatever, you know, these things. Um, then there's also things like cocktail comps. And, you know, so once you've created a template, it makes it much easier. Because in the end, um, we all love Gordon Ramsay, but we also love watching MasterChef, where people way, people we can relate to who are forgetting stuff, who are, who are failing, but then sometimes they come out. See, those are all basic plot lines. That's the whole rags to riches, you know, the whole... Uh, that's how TV is made. So you treat yourself in a similar way. You know, uh, everything can be templated as that and then used in a similar way, you know. And so for you, you apply that to your life. And because that's what you're sort of telling people, you're talking, telling them about the story, you're documenting the path. And um, how might this is the problem when you start traveling and you're finally getting stay at the Bulgari. I had my first fucking fancy ass hotel I stayed in my life. How does that relate to a bartender working in, I always remember where I started. How do I, how does me staying at the Bulgari in Dubai, is it any fucking way relatable to me working four pounds an hour in a three-star hotel at Scottish weddings? You can't relate. Bartenders can't relate to that, right? So that's aspirational. Um, and so that's why I'm always like, uh, look, it's a hotel. I'm going to steal this. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that because that's, I am from the lower class. This is not my normal state of mind, you know? So that's it. Younger bartenders, like use the seven basic plots, figure out what you're up to, analyze that. And that's what you should translate. And then perfection is your biggest enemy. You will never get the perfect shot. You will never, um, you will always hate your old work year on year on year. The worst thing is when you do really well and then you make something worse in the future where you think you should be getting better, you know? It's all just a one long-term process. Um, anything you need to learn about camera setups, anything you need to learn about videography on iPhones or Android, you can find on YouTube. That I have not taken any courses. I have not been doing this for years per se. I, I'm not a professional photographer. All of this has been... Take the fucking camera, do the shots, do it again, do it again. Look at the YouTube tutorials, find out where the button is, do it again, do it again, do it again. There is no magic. There's no shortcuts. Everything I'm sharing is just like little things that have helped me. If you look at the seven basic plots and you don't use them because they seem too basic, waste of your fucking time. Learn to make a daiquiri before you start clarifying milk punch. 
True. It's um, it's interesting because I, I definitely had an issue with um, procrastination where I just think way too much about how to do a post or how to do an article and uh, I'd end up not doing anything. So it really does come down to a lot of just getting it done and improving over time. I, I think a lot of what you've been doing recently is so um, amazing in terms of the education, the platform you built and also your work around the world in different seminars. And, you know, it, it's great to have people like you who are out there, you know, showing um, different sides to the industry uh, and not also just about the industry as well. It's also about these other things that relate to our life that make us better people, I guess. But, you know, what is your sort of um, ultimate goal now with Indie Bartender? Where are you taking it? What are the next steps over the next couple of years? Because I guess we had that period of COVID where we were stuck at home, right? So it's just making cool content. Now it's actually going a bit further. Where would you like to take it? So I always had a plan to build something more. The reason I do things the way I do is just because I'm a very, I'm like sort of a very angry man. Sometimes I don't come across as this. Um, usually I'm always smiles and satire, but the, the one thing that I always struggled with, and I guess it helps having my background of being an immigrant and, you know, but being pretty good at adapting languages and stuff is that, I never understood why st- stuff was, you can't talk about stuff. You know, you can't, like the truth, if you know what I mean. The truth is a very difficult word to use because the truth is truthful to each and one of us independently, right? Um, we all have our own version of the truth. And then when you start talking the truth, you sound like Alex Jones, conspiracy theorist and all this shit. But my whole point is like what I, what I see in the bar versus what I see on different um, magazines or what the brands push. And I'm like, yo, this is reality. What is going on here? This is fucking fairy tale. This is la la land. This is not what it's like. And so, and then once I started traveling and doing competitions, started stepping into la la land occasionally, I realized that you have to play by la la land's rules to be part of that theater. And so my mindset was like, oh, fuck that. No, this is, this is bullshit. Um, why don't I build my own La La Land, right? Why don't I have one that I think is more grounded to reality? So look at it as like the evolution of cinema. I think most of the bar, bartending industry's media is basically like 60s, 70s cinema where everything is like fake as shit and, and it's all this stuff. I want to go down to 90s, The Wire, uh, you know, a bit more gritty, a bit more reality driven. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, what I'm doing, I'm seeing people be more confident in, you know, I'm even seeing that what I'm doing slowly seeping into their la la land. I'm seeing people openly discuss stuff. It's not just about black and white and here it is. I'm slowly seeing that change. So it's kind of like, that was always a goal for me in terms of, I didn't think that was the goal, but I'm seeing the effect and now I'm sort of making it a goal, if you know what I mean. Sometimes sometimes you don't have a particular, sometimes you don't have a particular goal. And like Bill Gates didn't turn around and go, I'm gonna create a Bill Gates foundation and I'm gonna try and save the world, feed hunger and malaria. That, it, maybe he had that thought at some point in his life, but to get there is, is, is a different thing. You know, sure, Phil Jobs didn't think he was going to die of cancer at such a young age. You know, I mean, like that, his, that was not his plan. Um, we have these mad, mad goals and we're, sometimes they make it, sometimes they don't. But sometimes the journey to them 
you sort of see clarity and then you pick things. With Indie Bartender, the idea is to create, um, and I hate, I hate it sounds so bad, it's create a community, right? And so the Instagram, the YouTube, and the TikTok in the future are all just um, communications platforms between the company. The, the real goal is multi, multi, multi-layered, and there's many, many goals at the same time. One of the, one of the goals is the Indie Bartender company is just an umbrella company, right? What I am, Indie Bartender, is a product of that. And that whole thing is based on very, very simple. In, uh, if you're a bartender with like 10 years, 12 years, 12 years experience, um, where can you go? Where can you develop, right? That's the question you ask yourself. So do I become a brand ambassador? So that's corporate. Do I stay in operations and hopefully own my own bar one day? Do I go into consultancy, which is the Wild West? The, the fuck knows how that works. I still haven't figured that out. What are, the, what are the directions you can go? Those are the three basic directions. Most people have strugg- struggled with being a brand ambassador because you become an office worker with a night job uh, in a way, right? So, And then you'll need to probably actually get a degree or study. It's not every company is allowing you to move up the ladder without um, higher education. Operations is is sex, drugs, rock and roll, back pain, knee pain, uh, failed relationships, uh, f- um, backstabbing investors. It's 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 difficult, and consultancy is like, oh look, I've got a gig that's paid me very well, and I don't have any more gigs for twelve months. You know, where do I go to gain consultancy gigs? Right? How do I find these people? Of course, there's a lot of different offshoots there, but those are the three main paths. And so my idea was, cool, how can you still stay creative? Because uh, every bartender develops their sort of niche of what they're into, uh, what products they're into, what they're good at. Maybe you're good at writing menus. Maybe you're good at um, being nerdy with drinks. Maybe you're good at the history of cocktails. Maybe you're into clarification, whatever. Whatever they, you, that make up you, you. Um, but you want stability that maybe corporate might bring. So I created this fourth job that no one believes is real except me called the independent bartender, indie bartender. And it comes from indie music, independent music. And it works very simple. The business model is super simple. I treat myself as a brand. I write a 12 month brand plan for every year of where I want to go and what I want to do, which bar shows I want to go to, what seminars I've developed um, and basically like a brand would. Then I budget it and then I finance it. So for 2020, are we in 2023 now or 2022? 22 still. We're 22? Yeah. So we're in 22 now and my, uh, my 2022 budget was 35,000 euros. That's how much money I was planning on spending on myself with all the, everywhere I wanted to go uh, this year. I didn't have that money in the beginning of the year, but that was my budget. And then I sell myself and my brand plan as a speed rail to brands. So I've got two brand partners. I've got Novody Dante Vermouth and I've got Martin Miller's Gin. I, brought, I came with my brand plan and I said, hey, here's the plan. Uh, it costs 35K. I'm putting in 35K. If you want to be a part of this as my gin partner for the year, you put in 35K. So we are not a sponsor. We are equal, we're equal rights. We're equal right partners because I still need to put that money in throughout the year. And so the first partner essentially gets you your money back that you've put in, so you're on zero. 
The second partner pays for the taxes involved because, uh, you know, and then in between I was doing little gigs that basically make up the profit. So it's, it, it's a different model because it's not just a fee. I take on all my own logistics, all my own travels. I have a designer. I have two designers and I have a video editor. So I have part-timers working for me as well. That helps me. So I'm scaling the content. I'm scaling what I'm doing. Um, and so it started off with nothing. You know, now I, even when I travel, I have an easier time because I have a team now. But everyone needs to get paid and everyone needs to get paid on time and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I wouldn't say I'm on... I'm pretty much on the same money I've been on for the last 10 years as a bartender. Like, I don't say I'm earning more money, but um, I'm handling more money in the meantime as it gets passed on from me to the staff and to trips. Um, but that's the, that's the model. And my idea is that within the next five years, I will have an indie bartender in every major region of the world working for me where I will find individuals who are willing to do that. Because the idea is that that whatever brand plan they write, we help them write it, we help them formulate it, we help them make it into um, something brands understand and are willing to invest in. So we handle all the legal contractuals and whatever, and they just have to be themselves. They have to be creative and they have to just do that. And we will take a percentage of their uh, contracts to help, you know, because I'll need to have a full-time copywriter because most bartenders can't spell or write for shit. Um, <laughs> you know, s- stuff like that, you know? So that's the, that, that's the plan for indie bartenders as a, as, a, as a group, right? So to have one in every region working with different brands that, you know, works for them. And that way they can, don't have to go to shifts five, six days a week. They don't have to just be like a corporate robot just uh, my terrible robot dance at the same time. Um, no, Saga Tiba Kashasa is the best Kashasa in the world. You know, um, <laughs> right. you know, you know, you know what I mean. Mm. So it's a, it's way more like democratic. It's way more chill. It's way more applicable to everyone. And so if I have one in every region, that means that um, I have a lot more other data, you know, information. I can now do events all over the world. Possibly, and this is the most like utopian goal possible. And then we launch a vodka brand, <laughs> right? And, okay. And then, well, think think about it. If I go, we make a vodka, which is good. Do a quality vodka made well, um, and then we do do it like Brewdog style. We do it equity equity for bartenders. So you can only buy equity if you're a bartender, if you're hospitality. So it's it's so it's a product by bartenders for bartenders. And then I already have five brand ambassadors in every major region around the world who've suddenly become BAs for this vodka brand. So I'm immediately getting loads of exposure. I'm immediately, my entire thing is by bartenders for bartenders. The equity is only purchasable by bartenders. So it's, it's, it's as hospitality focused as possible. And then we uh, sell it to Bacardi for loads of money and we all get paid. That's the dream, huh? <laughs> But um, I, I mean, a brew, Brewdog's a good example. Um, they they did fantastic, uh, particularly in marketing. Some of the activations, like driving a tank through London, was just mad. But um, they did really well, and the product was good. Um, you know, I, I want to dive into this a little bit more. Um, you mentioned about the brand plans, and I, I think it's a great initiative. It's it's something that everyone should think about. 
um, having worked with brands myself, written brand plans for brands, um, you know, you've, what uh, would you recommend to these people? So a brand wants to see value, right? And it's whether it's liquid on lips through activations or whether it's sort of awareness, engagement. Um, you know, what would you say um, are typical things that you put into these brand plans or, or advise bartenders to put into these plans? So we started off this conversation with digital, right? That was a big part of the beginning of this conversation. Mm. The best way to leverage brands nowadays is through social media. Yeah. So if you're just doing events for brand plans, if you're just going like, hey, I'm John Doe and I'm based in Madrid and I'm going to go around the world and do events for you, most brands will go, why would I give a shit? Uh, what, how are you any better anything else we've got going? Why should we go with you? Because then you're competing with every other agency that they're doing. They have no reason to trust an individual because agencies have ways of working that they're used to. Most brands have agencies they've already got on retainers. So the way you leverage is either through some sort of um, awards that you have, right? And what awards do we have in the industry? We've got spirited awards, some local awards, uh, 50 best bars. There's only 50 bars and 50 best bars. That's it. How the fuck do you leverage that? You know, you, the, the 7.8 billion people in the world, how do you stand out and why would they hire you? Social media is key because people eat with their eyes. So some brand manager goes on your social media, sees what they're doing, sees you're getting good quality content or high quality engagement or something along those lines. And they're like, okay, cool, I wanna work with this person, I'm getting to see that. You know, your LinkedIn profile is not enough. Uh, you know, everything matters. Your emailing on time matters. Having an, Being able to fucking spell matters, you know. Um, the way I do it when writing, so that's like in terms of how you leverage. In terms of what I've run into my brand plans is that I have a three-step process. The first is called a discovery session. So I will not spend longer than 30 minutes talking to a brand manager about collaboration. Any more than that, my time is worth money. I'm not sitting there. I don't care about your brand plan with your brand and whatever. It's too long. I don't write any decks or proposals free of charge. No, because okay. uh, as, as counterproductive as that sounds, um, once you get into the game, once you've done it a whole bunch of times, my time is worth money. So 30 minute call, here's a basic deck where I explain how I work, who I am, here's my social media accounts, here's examples of my work, and then we can talk through it. I'll explain the basic process, and then we have a three-step, uh, three-step, uh, three phases. We have discovery session, creative session, then execution. Discovery session, it means it's uh, a, it takes up to five to 10 days. It's basically a deep dive interviews with members of the brand team to understand exactly what the brand is all about. No matter how good the branding company that's designed their bullshit portfolio decks is, the people behind it, they might think differently. They might read adventurous. For someone, adventurous is fucking a pot noodle. For someone, adventurous is um, going to that town outside of the main town and going to a pub. You know, like, ooh, we're on an adventure, you know, Master Frodo. But the point is, is that when you understand exactly who the people who are paying the bills and what they think all of those things mean, then you can sort of write it down on a paper and, and define it. 
Because the problem is, is when you define stuff one way and they do, that's when you start to get into arguments and what's better for the brand. Well, this guy owns the brand and pays your bills. So you either, so the definition process is super important so that no one, so whenever you do something and they go, I don't like that. We're like, well, according to this thing that you agreed to, this is on brand. Well, we have to revise that. Well, we'll have to revise that. But if you revise that, that costs money because it's more of my time and now I have to change everything. We're going back two steps, you know, then you always have a, a backup that's physical. So that's the discovery phase. The creative phase is when the discovery phase is done. Those are the defined definitions. Basically, like treat it like a painting. We've done the frame. The frame is finished, right? Now we're just coloring in the painting itself. Oh, let's do this. Let's do this digital content. Oh, I'm going to do five guesses this year. Here's the bars I'm going to target. Blah, blah, blah. You know, here's, here's how much money we need, you know, to, to make this happen. And then, cool, they okay that. Oh, we don't want to go there. Oh, this is too much. Do we have any creative control over, this, over these videos? Or what kind of drinks are you going to make? How long are you going to post? All of those, like, nitty-gritty, admin-y, and that kind of stuff. And so that's another phase which gets paid for. Because if I'm going to be coming up with ideas for your brand, I'm not going to hand them over for free. You, you, you know, you, once they've paid for them, you can go away and you can go to an agency and then you can go and try and execute it yourself. But you've paid me for my ideas. I've not just done all this work for you to do fuck off and do it yourself. And then if they're happy, then we sign up for the annual. Then we, it's all defined. It's all based on the budgets that we've given. And then I go execute. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the way I do it. And, and things like sampling, lick it to lips, I'm not a BA and I am not um, a sales guy, right? My job is awareness and marketing your brand. I'm doing something cool. You want to be cool. So you're supporting doing something cool, but don't tie me to your internal. If, I, if I'm an external worker, I'm an external worker. Don't tie me to your, to your internal shit. Like that's it. Um, of course, I do put stuff like liquid lips and sampling into my reports because if that brand manager can put that on their reports, that means they might get a bonus. That means they're going to sign me up next year. <laughs> so, so stuff like that. Fantastic, man. Really so, great. So, social, social media is key. Social media is key because people um, nowadays, uh, LinkedIn is less important than Instagram. Agreed. I uh, really do. And also LinkedIn is probably one of the fastest growing platforms in terms of like getting now. Man, thank you very much for all of this, for everyone listening. Um, all of the links to the Indie Bartender uh, and everything else we talked about today will be in the show notes. Just a few more questions before we go. So um, we got 50 Best coming up in Barcelona. I, I guess you're looking forward to that. They still haven't banned me. They still haven't banned me. We'll, <laughs> Good. See, we'll see how long it takes. Well, I'm, I'm flying over there and uh, it'll be my first time back to nice. Europe in four years because the pandemic kind of fucked up all the travel. But um, where do you recommend to go? I think a lot of people listening will be heading over. Tell me about the city, man. What's the bar scene like there? Cool. Bar scene is... Up and coming, according to the world's everything. Um, every every major top fifty bar, such as Sips Barcelona, Paradiso, Tushmarks, is going to be rammed. It's going to be an absolute shit show to get in. Tushmarks and Paradiso are already rammed anyway, uh, and Sips is pretty small, and they like sort of do. I'm not sure they do reservations, but they're, they're all very kind of small brands, uh, small bars. My suggestion is to, besides those like three ones that people are going to go to, uh, there's a, there's a lot of bars around that are worth visiting. Um, 
Catorce de la Rosa, so 14 de la Rosa, it's named after a street. You've got uh, Galileo, you've got um, Bar Collage, you've got Dr. Stravinsky, you've got Especiarium, you've got Lilith and Sons, you've got uh, Crepsal Born, you've got Marlowe Bar, you've got the new, I uh, forget, forget that place. Um, my suggestion, if you want to, if you want to come over, is you do the famous stuff like we'll do do every 50 50 best bar once a day because you will never be able to do all three because they're all in different parts of the city and then literally you can go and find all these other bars on um top 100 bars which is like a local thing that we have which is local cocktail bars and you find all the other ones because you'll probably have a better experience in these bars that are going to be less busy that are around then you will at top 50 bars, which are going to be packed full of sardines where everyone is just man, one massive human centipede of circle jerk. Um, my, also, the other thing I would suggest is do it based on barrio, so neighborhood, right? So two schmucks is in Raval, which is like the uh, where, all the, where all the foreigners live and all the minorities. So then all of the racist cunts from the other end of the city don't go there. So if you're more into punks and skating and the spice of life, there'll be no tourists in that area because they're scared. They think it's where you get killed. So definitely go there. Two Schmucks is on a street called Joaquin Costa. There's loads of really good bars there. Two Schmucks is definitely the best. You know, it really is. But then Two Schmucks has got three bars on that one street. They've got Fat Schmuck where you can go get really good food, really good coffee during the day. They've got Two Schmucks, which is where you come in and have your cocktail experience. And it's good to reserve. And then you have um, Lucky Schmuck, which is their late night dive bar where you're basically having beers and shots and probably there's going to be a punk band on. So you can really like just spend the whole evening there. And there's so many really cool bars that have been around for 30, 40 years that have got so much character, little dives and stuff all around that area that are worth checking out. So I would do like that. I spend a whole day there. Uh, if you do end up I highly, in that area, I highly suggest you go to a place called Nevermind, which is... They've got two Nevermind and one Bollocks. They're skater dive bars with a half pipe inside where you can get two Heinekens and two shots of Jameson for 12 euros. Brilliant. Man, thank you so much for all those recommendations. That's fantastic. Looking forward to going over there. And, and thanks again for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. Well, look, take care. Thank you for joining the show. And uh, hopefully I'll see you around in Barcelona. Thank you so much for listening to the show, guys. Uh, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, and all other major podcast providers. Your support helps my show grow, and I love you for listening. So thank you so much. If you want to be a part of it even more, please look at the show notes. You can find links to our Facebook group, The Beverage Network. You can also find links to my Patreon page where you can help the show grow even further with small donations. And you can also find my email where you can reach me anytime with any questions. You guys are amazing. I love this industry. Let's keep it growing. Thank you for listening to On The Bad Bar.